what is up, you beautiful people? Welcome back to the Built on Bitcoin podcast, where we cover all the innovation happening across the Bitcoin ecosystem. So typically, you'll find me talking directly to the builders and founders, creating new use cases and extending the use of Bitcoin. What that means is here I cover the whole ecosystem as first-class citizen. So obviously, Bitcoin main chain is in that mix. Lightning for sure, but also Stacks, Liquid, RSK, and anything else I find is super, super interesting. So today I have a fantastic episode with Philip Deschmidt, who is one of the core contributors of Arcadeco Finance, a stablecoin protocol built on Stacks and has a bunch of collateral types, Stacks, uh, XBTC, but they got some big stuff coming online to be able to use native BTC and take out loans against it in a decentralized way. So we cover a ton of topics, ton of topics, things like why are stable coins not so stable? Interesting answer to that. I was also curious why with so many Bitcoiners having an aversion to tokens as an early builder in the Stacks ecosystem, but also a self-described Bitcoiner, why was he okay with this gas token? and a bunch of other stuff. He gives his take on what he sees as the four main ecosystems that exist in the crypto space. So uh, yeah, this one was fascinating. Super, super interesting cats. And uh, yeah, you'll hear at the end, he's, he's open to talk to anybody. So if you want to connect with him, for sure reach out. But before we jump in, quick word from our sponsor. So if you haven't been paying attention, which if you listen to this podcast, it's hard not to, Ordinals have been going crazy. It's only been two months, really, since they've launched. And we've seen some big launches from some big NFT collections. Volume is on the rise. Tooling for Bitcoin is going crazy with partially signed Bitcoin transactions, marketplaces, APIs, indexes, bunch of stuff. So Ordinals are going crazy. The first Ordinals conference is coming, and it's happening during the Bitcoin Miami kind of week, whenever it's going to send to Miami. So May 18th, Ordinals 2023, the first ever Ordinals conference is going down. Big, big speakers coming to uh, present and chit chat. Casey Rodemore, Trevor Owens, Woody Wertheimer, Eric Wall, Nick Carter. There's a whole, there's a whole list. I recommend check out Ordinals2023.com and if you want to save yourself some money, you can use a discount code to save $25. Go to ordinals2023.com slash tickets and use code ORD23JKBLCK to save that money. So ORD23JKBLCK to save 25 bucks. So I hope to see you there. I'll definitely be in town. But without further ado, let's jump into this conversation with Philip Tishmet, core contributor to Arcadigo Finance. Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. Philip, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing fantastic. Happy to be here, and uh, thanks for having me. Glad, glad to have you here. You, uh, I've been to Stacks for a couple of years now, and you're—I think you're—you're you're firmly classified as a Stacks OG for sure. So I appreciate you coming on. Um, but for people that don't know you, like I can never tell my audience. I started as a Stacks podcast, now it's more Bitcoin focused. So I don't know if people Stackers know you, but maybe the other people don't. So just give us a quick, quick overview of what's your background. Yeah. Um, by the way, I think there's a surprising amount of people that I still like follow every now and then, mostly from the Stacks NFT space, um, that also don't follow me. So I think if they're, you know, watching this, um, they'll be surprised who the hell is this guy. So I'm happy, happy to give a quick intro. But um, I have a technical background first and foremost, always been really interested in technology. Um, pretty boring like life but in the good sense I would say my youth was like perfect I had a great like childhood grew up in the north of Europe western Europe um middle class family my 
my parents, while well, my father, he's always had his own company and I used to work during the summers. And back then I was already saying, yeah, I want to go into technology. His, his company was logistics, you know, boring stuff with like repairing containers and stuff. Like I, I didn't really care much about that. I always wanted to go like Mountain View, you know, California to work at Google. That was my big dream when I was 15. I did actually apply at Google. I failed all the interviews, never got a big, big job. Um, but I did study computer science. So that's my master. I got a master's degree there. And uh, as I said, I failed interviews at Facebook, Google, uh, at, at any big company. I think you can imagine, unfortunately. And then I, I decided to just go into freelancing. Um, and that's really where I started having fun and how I eventually around yeah 2013 got more interested in crypto and bitcoin in general okay and just to place this timeline wise when did you get your masters in cs that must have been i graduated around 2011 20 yeah 2011 yeah. okay and so you you were you were in tech for a few years um when i guess let's start with what fascinated you about crypto so you've been in tech for a couple of years after college you, you see it pop up on, you know, Hacker News or maybe Namecoin or something, whatever it is. Um, what initially drew you to, to Bitcoin that you found so fascinating? Um, you actually nailed it. I read Hacker News a lot. Um, not that much anymore these days, but back in 2011, 2012, a lot. And I think it was April 2013 when I first read something on Hacker News that said Bitcoin hits, I don't know what it was, $100 or something like that. So... In the cycle of 2013, not all the way at the beginning, but not super late either. It hits $100. I can't remember again or the first time, but anyway, I saw it and I was like, okay, whatever, just think I'll be good. And so there's, there's this rule, or at least I have some friends that tell me that there is this rule that you have to hear about a concept for like three to five times from different people, right? Or different angles. And so that was once I heard some other, you know, tech friends talk about it, but I, I kind of rejected it until... It popped up again on, on Hacker News and it kept popping up and up. And, and I was like, okay, I really need to look into this stuff. And so most of the things that I'm working on these days come actually, honestly, from speculation and from having fun. So I saw this thing rally from like $100 to, I think it was $800. And then I was like, God damn, I, I need to get into this stuff. Um, and so I, I kind of bought the top. Um, more or less, it it rallied further to thousand hundred dollars in twenty thirteen. But I would love to give you this interesting story how I started hacking on Namecoin and you know <laughs> contributing go. But that's not really it. I just thought, oh, this is fun. I'm gonna buy some, you know, some of my savings. I'm I'm gonna put in there. And then I was living in Spain and Barcelona at the time, and there were Bitcoin meetups going on. That was end of twenty thirteen. Um, and I went to some of them and people were building like Bitcoin ATMs and doing fun stuff. And then actually in the beginning of 2014, Dogecoin got launched. Um, so for those who don't know what Dogecoin exactly is, but it's a fork of Litecoin. So you had Litecoin, which was the silver to Bitcoin being gold. And then someone thought that was funny and they forked Litecoin and they created Dogecoin. And I was really into Dogecoin, actually, in the beginning of 2014. Um, I gave talks about Dogecoin. I still have the presentation. Um, probably, like, being looked down upon by some, but especially, I guess, the Bitcoin Maxi, right? But again, for me, it, it was all about fun. And I actually aped in all my Bitcoin one night into Dogecoin, like, a few days after it launched. And uh, it, like, tripled or something. And then I round-tripped it back. And <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. But so I guess the point is uh, something needs to be fun for me to, to really get engaged, whether that's through speculation or technical curiosity or something else. If it's not fun, it's hard for me, you know, to, to really get into it. And that's for me the, the real rabbit hole rather than, oh, what is money and what is gold? And we go back to a gold standard. I, I really wasn't like reading about that or thinking about it back in 2013, 14. Got it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's part of the thing that I've been trying to bring to my my brand of Bitcoiner, if you will. It's why I open episode, every every episode with like, what is up, you beautiful people? It's because people take it too damn serious. Like, and obviously finances are very important. So like, you know, and Bitcoin is trying, there's a big adversary that we're going against in the, in the traditional system. So it's like, 
give it the proper due, but also don't make it so damn bland and boring that you you turn off people or they you can strike that balance. Um, I will say it's interesting as people. I talked to more people about that question, and it's the major the minority is people who weren't tech backgrounds. They just had product marketing or whatever, and they're at the right place at the right time. But most people were tech back then, and they've gotten to crypto. I'm assuming that you know if you're reading Hacker News, you're already kind of a nerd, and if you're to buy Bitcoin back then. Was the, was the barrier so high that you almost had to be kind of techie to even get your hands on any amount of BTC? Or was there starting to be stuff that was like kind of remotely okay to use? I think when I got in, it was really a lot easier just in those past few months between, let's say, February of 2013 and November. You had Bitstamp, which is still running and you know operational up to this day. And it's I think it used to be one of the best um, you know spot exchanges in Europe, if not in the world, I think they have a bank license in Luxembourg. I actually shilled them to all my friends. Look, go to Bitstamp if you want to own something. I know you need to self-custody, but a lot of people that I know, they just bought Bitcoin and they still have it sitting on Bitstamp, uh, which is the easy solution for most people. If I tell them you need to buy a ledger, a treasure, put it on there. And, uh, I go, it's really a lot too far. They're willing to put a few hundred euros or dollars in but make it easy and so i think it was easy enough to buy it but to you know to, to take real custody of it was was pretty hard and i never did it to be honest until 2018 2019 got it got it got it and i went on a little mini tangent there but it sounded like you might have had some thoughts on kind of making bitcoin fun again and like that ha- having that kind of culture oh for sure for sure um Look, I think in general, um, I also went down the rabbit hole. In 2019, I'd started looking looking more like reading about money, what is money, and like the medium of exchange and store of value and all that stuff. But I think ultimately, what you have to think is money is, is some form of time, right? You You create more time if you have more money. Because I can just say, imagine, it can be something stupid between quotes, but maybe I don't want to do the dishes and I'm, I'm a very rich guy, for instance, and I hire a mate or something, you know, it could be as, as simple as that. And I think Bitcoin, owning Bitcoin from a serious point of view is the easiest way to buy yourself more time without understanding all those things like, oh, it has to be, um, you know, a store of value and it's this inflationary and all those things. And I think that's the, the, uh, the value prop of Bitcoin, but again, what you just said, I don't think that necessarily attracts tons of builders, you know, to the Bitcoin space. And so maybe I'm wrong, but the the product market fit that I see for the most sticky projects or products or protocols, whatever you call it, is that they are fun. And you see that with ordinals now. Ordinals are, and I'm going to... You know, piss off people may, but ordinals are stupid. They're JPEGs on a piece of limited space, right? But they are fun. You know, I love looking at, for instance, you have this profile picture, which is an ordinal on Twitter, if I'm not mistaken, or at least at the time we're recording it. Now you can't change it anymore. <laughs> but um, you do have uh, one of those megapunks and the, the megapunks are minted as, as ordinals and, and they're fun, right? And and that brings more people into the game that exposes them. Not saying the NFTs are our way to mass adoption, even though I do think it is or they are. Um, but yeah, if, if we can see that cultural shift also happening to DeFi in some extent, then I think we, we can gain ground on the normies, you know, a normie in general, um, I don't mean anything bad with it, but they're not interested in crypto. They're just like, leave me alone with your stupid JPEGs or your DeFi stuff that gets hacked every week. Just let me live my life. But if you give them a certain value prop or if you, you know, you can make them aware that something is fun, that gets a lot easier. And again, I think we're, we're getting closer to that cultural shift, starting with the original stuff. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty shocking to me. So everyone says that like that crypto is narrative driven, which it clearly is, especially in the speculative asset stuff. But up until two months ago, working on Bitcoin L1 felt like completely inaccessible. Like Bitcoin Core is like they're the angels of Bitcoin. No one touches that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, getting your code PR'd into Bitcoin Core is like, oh my God, you're an elite hacker. 
And now it's like everybody's talking about PSBTs and working on on extending Bitcoin L1. It's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's just crazy how fast that has happened with one small change with ordinals. Yeah, for sure. And look, there's, there's two ways to look at this, right? From the one hand, I think it makes sense to hack on it because it's small. What is Bitcoin? 400 billion, 500 billion. I really get triggered when someone says it's a trillion dollar asset, by the way, because that, that was two years ago. But so it's like 400 billion or something, and it's really tiny. And so I, I'm one of the people who thinks that we should keep on doing soft forks and make changes relatively easy. But I think with this ordinal stuff, which happens, you know, no one really suspected that this was a use case, you know, through Taproot and all those things, that was not really what people expected in a certain group now, I think will make it even harder to do soft forks in the future, which is not great. So I think there's probably, in my head at least, it's fairly binary. You have people who block more soft forks in the future and who are against it. And um, yes, I mean, Bitcoin is something really important and I think it will continue to be important in the serious sense, right? That it can save us from counterparty risk, et cetera, as we see these days with the banks and, and all the stuff that's going on. At the same time, I think if we don't keep on experimenting, how can we build Bitcoin layers, right? Then that gets pretty hard. So it's, it's a tough decision, but ultimately I think we should take the risk and keep on experimenting because if no one ever had experimented, maybe we wouldn't have even seen Bitcoin, right? I mean, maybe, maybe it wouldn't have been there. So what's, what's the point then ultimately, I think as, as humans, we need to evolve, right? By all means, let's, let's keep, uh, fucking things up. I can swear here, right? Or whatever. Yep. It. Totally. hundred percent. I love it. I love it. Okay. I want to, um. There's so much to discuss. I want to get into how you transitioned into, into Bitcoin from your traditional space. And I want to talk about Arcadeco, but maybe I'll take a step back first and ask what is kind of like an existential question, which sounds funny on the surface, but we have banks are failing, fiat, debases, stable coins, not so stable. And so that's my first question. As a creator of, of USDA, trying to create what you think is the best protocol, Broadly, why are stable coins not stable? That's a great and very difficult question. Um, I'll, I'll maybe take a step back and start with talking about different groups of stable coins that we generally see these days. And so the first ones are, in my opinion, probably one of the most reliable ones today, which are the centralized ones. Ironically, USDC, USDT. I know USDC just debugs for a while, but I think they're still probably the safest out there because they have a real claim on the dollar. Whether that dollar is, you know, in true cash or cash equivalents, as people say, you know, in treasuries that are hopefully short-term dated. But um, that's, in my opinion, if you trust a central counterparty, then they're they're, they're pretty safe in terms of stability. I think the second one that I think might still be very important in the future are what, what USDA is as well, which is collateral backed by crypto collateral. So you have some collateral, whether that's Bitcoin or Ethereum or Solana or something else, and you put that in a smart contract and against that collateral, you can mint some stable coins. The biggest and most famous one is MakerDAO, which has DAI, which is an Ethereum. And then the third one, and no one has really nailed this so far, are pure algorithmic ones that are not that are either only partly backed or not backed at all. Most famous one is, well, UST with Luna, which is not backed at all, right? People say it's backed by Luna, but I mean, what is backing? Right? Backing is really when when you can... It's actually a good question. What What is backing, right? In my opinion, Luna did not back USD and it had the circular design where you could burn one USD, which was $1 to get $1 in Luna and the other way around, you know, and then so that, that created this ex existential risk in the whole system. And I can talk a bit more about that after, but in my opinion, the the two that we really need to rely on are the centralized ones and the crypto collateralized ones. And uh, the reason they're, they're not stable is because I believe it has to do with liquidity because the designs are fairly sound. They're, they're good. You know, you can redeem 
USDC for a dollar, but not in, not often in the weekend or not always in the weekend because banks are closed in the weekend and the redemptions are up and you need to wait until Monday and liquidity on chain is fairly low, right? There's maybe, I'm just going to throw out a number, 40 billion or 50 billion USDC, but what fraction of that lives on chain? If you go to Curve, which is a stable swap protocol, then maybe a few hundred million is present in, in those pools, meaning if you have a few hundred million or people collectively dump a few hundred million in those pools of the other stable coin, imagine you have a pool of USDC and USDT and everyone all of a sudden wants to go out of USDC. So they're all dumping their USDC for USDT and that destabilizes the whole pool, right? And if something destabilizes because the slow liquidity, obviously the pride of one goes up a lot, versus the other and your pool is not balanced any longer. I guess, I hope that makes sense. And so that, ex that essentially happened in the past weekend. Everyone wanted to rush out of USDC. So they started dumping all their USDC in the places that made the most sense, which is Uniswap P3 and Curve. And so everyone wanted that USDT and that brought imbalance in the peg of USDC. And then you started seeing it go down. But if you really believe, obviously the reason that everyone wanted USDT at that point is because they believe that Circle might, you know, go down because Silicon Valley Bank had some, you know, duration mismatch issues. But ultimately Circle made it pretty quickly, even the same weekend. And so I think the, the, the panic around USDC was really unwarranted because even if they had lost those 3 billion that were at Silicon Valley Bank, that's a fraction. You know, they, they, were, they were partly insured, first of all, and they were never lost. There was a mismatch in duration of bonds. So it was never really lost. Maybe a part was lost, but if you take the fraction of what was lost against total supply and the revenue that Circle does as a company, then that panic was really unwarranted. That's like maybe less than a percent or something. If you take less than a percent, the real, um, the real value of the intrinsic value, let's say, of USDC should have still been 99.5.6 cents or something like that. We can do the calculation on paper, but it was 88 cents or 85 cents or something at one point. And that was a real arbitrage opportunity. So I think, honestly, it was just a lot of panic due to low liquidity in those pools on DeFi, why USDC debugged. And by Monday, a few days ago, we saw that USDC had regained its back already. So there were a ton of redemptions. I think yesterday on Tuesday, we saw a $700 million redemption. So $700 million in one go of USDC was burned for dollars. And so still a lot of people lost trust, right? They're like, oh, it lost its back for three days. I don't want to hold this thing anymore. And that's fair. There's a trust issue and then there's a liquidity issue and then the, the way it operates as a whole, right? But I believe fundamentally how it operates as a whole. If you trust the U.S., if you trust the bond system, if you trust the banks, to some extent, I think USDC is fine. But again, it's all about liquidity and short-term volatility. And that's actually the same reason that something like USDA, which is crypto collateralized, can go off back as well. If people start dumping USDA on chain on mass, then there's a lot of sell pressure on USDA and it can't hold its $1 bag anymore versus something else that it's bagged against. And so it's really a game of liquidity usually. And so those two designs that I talked about, the centralized one and crypto collateralized ones, they're both great designs. Obviously you have smart contract risk in one and counterparty risk in the other, you know, as I just talked about, but they're not broken in, in design as most algorithmic stable coins are. They have been proven there's billions of liquidity in it versus algorithmic ones. Most of them have failed. So yeah, I, I know I've been rambling for like 10 minutes about this, but why are stable coins not stable? It's because again, it's a combination of trust and liquidity usually where bad things between quotes happen and that way, um, yeah, it, it loses its peg either temporarily or permanently. And Last thing I'm going to say is as a founder of a stablecoin DeFi protocol, I ultimately believe that Bitcoin is all the stablecoin in the way we should you know, exchange value, but people need something to anchor themselves to. And for better or for worse today, that's the US dollar. And I think 
to get there and maybe it takes another 100 years, right? Before we get to like a real Bitcoin standard, we need something, you know, in the meantime that, that people can use to, to have a circular economy. But yeah, that's just my two cents. Interesting. You've opened up so many cans of worms. I'm not sure where to start. I will just, just to recap. So there's three main types centralized, which is backed literally by a dollar. Typically it's the U S dollar and USDC is by far the biggest one. You have collateralized, which is something like Arcadeco. And typically they're over collateralized, I'm assuming. And so you get some inefficiency in capital. If you do it one-to-one, that's dangerous for liquidations for the person who's holding that stable coin. Is that right? Like you wouldn't really see a collateralized one-to-one stable coin because it wouldn't stay very stable. Yeah, correct. So you do see... Some that are nearly one-to-one, but that's usually like USDC to mint DAI or something. And what's the point of that, right? That that kind of beats the purpose of having an on-chain decentralized stablecoin. Got it. And then there's algorithmic, which is just a bunch of wizardry and incentives and game theory trying to keep the peg at its place. You mentioned backing, though, which I've never thought about. The definition of backing, what is it? Is it the ability to redeem? So it's the asset that's backing it, and then the ability to redeem kind of finds, is it really backed by that thing? Is that what you think about it? I mean, look, there's no formal official definition, right? But for me, backing means that there is transparency in the sense that an asset indeed is always there if I want to redeem it. And for Luna, for instance, you would mint and burn those things, and they were not locked up or not there in a smart contract at all times. If you mint one USDA, you need usually at least 1.4 to $1.5 in STX or in BTC. And you can actually audit this, the smart contracts on our platform. We have this little analytics page where you can go and look at how many STX tokens are there, how many STX of those are liquid, meaning they're not stacked in proof of transfer right now, how many are illiquid, how many are stacked. You can do the same for auto Alex, which is a collateral type that we use an XBTC today. So everything is very transparently backing those USDA on chain. And for me, that's, that's the big advantage because why did these bank runs happen? They didn't necessarily happen because those banks were, in my opinion, at least completely done for, I mean, they were definitely insolvent and they have issues as, as we see, but if we could see how much is illiquid and are they truly insolvent, meaning if we could transparently see that and audit ourselves in terms of proof of reserves or whatever, maybe even with Merkle proofs, which is this mathematical proof that a company can give while hiding, you know, the actual composition and, you know, underlying stuff, then people don't necessarily need to panic. We just need to create more transparency. And actually, in that sense, I think DeFi is a bit of an unfortunate name because a lot in DeFi is not necessarily decentralized. But I think, and a lot of Bitcoiners especially like to riff about that, but I think that's, that's really beyond the purpose. In my opinion, DeFi is a terrible term. It should probably be something like FIFI, verifiable finance. And Chris Berniski had a tweet about this today or yesterday. He said, let's not call it DeFi, but... Let's call it IFS, Internet Financial System, because, mm-hmm. and so I like those terms more than, um, yeah, than DeFi. DeFi has a lot of like weight and it triggers people, you know, it's not decentralized or, oh, what is this clown bit? You know, those, and so, yeah, maybe we have to move away from that. I don't know. It's a very interesting question. Yeah. I saw that tweet too. I don't love it on the sense that, uh, Ethereans talk about where the internet of value and so when I think of Bitcoin, Bitcoin is the only asset that really, well, stable coins too, but they transcend into the real world in a real way. Um, so it, it plays dual purposes. But uh, yeah, I definitely see the limitations of, of DeFi, the term, where it comes with baggage. Because uh, you think about decentralization and censorship resistant and unfuckwittable money. And that's cool. That's all great. Um, but the real thing we're trying to solve for is like, it's trust. At, at the core of right. it, it is trust. Like, I don't have to trust you. It just works. And I trust that I can audit the protocol and not have to trust that, you know, what, what the Fed is doing in hand-wavy deals behind the yep. scenes. But we don't think about that when we think of DeFi. It's just assumed. It's kind of bolted on. Exactly. No, completely agree. Yeah. And 
more so, I think DeFi is a, in a really tough spot, actually, because this is a philosophical question more than anything, but is there a product market fit in DeFi? If I ask you today, what DeFi protocol would you want you stay today and then to take it a step further, trust your life savings with? I don't know if I can count those on a, even a few fingers. I mean, I don't know. It's, right. it's all still very speculative. Yeah, no, it's it's a very good point. I, I made a point in the past month because I, I talk about so many different side chains and stuff, but I don't use them. I use Stacks. I've been using Stacks, but I've never really touched Sovereign. I've heard of good things about Interlay and how they built their bridge, but I've never, you know, created the wallet and deployed even to 100 bucks of BTC. So I made the point to do that. Sovereign's pretty solid. I'm not sure if I would, if I if I had a massive net worth, I'm still not sure if I'd be doing it off of anything besides just storing in my ledger. You know, like that feels like mm -hmm. the best. Even risk adjusted, that's still about the, the safest bet. Um, but also play with Arcadico and got to see like how the collaterals change depending on the asset you're holding. It's very clear. Almost got liquidated on stats because there was a lot of volatility, so I had to deploy some more some more collateral. So I got to learn. I got the crash course really early. Um, so yeah, it's, it, but it does feel like it's very, it is much more clear of what you're getting into, which is really, really nice. Um, okay. So I want to get into what you, what you guys have built then, and maybe a two part question, because one, I'm really interested in why you built on a stack, especially in the time you did where you're part of cohort one of the, of the accelerator. You're one of the earliest, like useful <laughs> programs to use on stacks. It was like stacking and then kind of NFTs with boom. And then Arcadico launched pretty early as like the first uh, real use case. So why Stacks at the time that you chose it? Because that seems like a big decision. And then you can kind of lead into what is it that you built with Arcadico? Yeah, for sure. Um, look, for me, Stacks ultimately was pretty easy. So my current co-founders, Peter and Neil, we were talking and that was end of 2020, beginning of 2021. And... Like I said, I've been into Bitcoin since 2013, but only really serious since 2019. And in 2019, that, that's probably important to, to answer the why stacks question. I did sell my company, which was a SaaS company in human resources. And I mean, I, I made some money, not, not crazy, not life-changing, but the money comes into your bank and you have to start thinking, what do I do with this money? Am I going to keep it in euros because that's our currency? Or am I going to put it in stocks or maybe bonds? Or Then I was like, okay, I need to do something smart with this. So I start reading more seriously into Bitcoin. And so I became somewhat of a Bitcoin maxi over those 2018, 2019, 2020 years. And so for me, it was really out of the question to build something on Ethereum or Solana or something else, even though I think they, they have their place in the crypto world these days, but I still think Bitcoin makes a lot of sense and stacks as well. And so I was, I was telling my, my two co-founders, look, I want to build something, but I only want to do it on Bitcoin. And where do you really go? As you just said, you have RSK and you have Liquid, uh, but I didn't really like the RSK experience to be honest, to be completely transparent, I found it very cumbersome to create RBTC, which is the pagan version of, of Bitcoin, but on RSK, I had to send it to some like weird address and then wait. And that was two years ago, by the way. I don't know if it's still the case, but wait like half a day. And then I received my RBTC on a MetaMask wall. And I was like, okay, I'm not, I don't really feel comfortable like programming in this. So I didn't do it. Liquid, to be fairly honest, it's kind of dead. So didn't really give it a, a good, good, good look um, to begin with. And I really like Manip from a personal, like from, let's say, a point of view where I listened to a podcast with him, with Nick Carter of Castle Island Ventures still back then. And he was explaining how they're going to, or if they were going to be launching Stacks 2.0, the main net. So that was, in, yeah, early 2021. And I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to build something, play around with the smart contracts. I kind of like the idea of clarity and I wanted to have some fun, <laughs> you know, no one was building on stacks. So it's like, why is that? And I wanted to figure that out and that had to do with it. And then I spoke to Trevor a few months later, maybe in April of the same year. So like two, three months later, and he told me something that I still remember and, and I agree with. 
And he told me, look, do you guys want to be a big whale or fish in a small pond? And that's small today. Or do you want to be, you know, like a nobody in something like Ethereum? And philosophically, as I said, I align with Bitcoin and adding, you know, that saying to it, I was like, let's just go for it. Let's do it. And so we didn't really look back because I had just sold my company. I had some, like some runway personally where I could hack on things for a few months. And so we did that and we raised around and uh, yeah, the rest is, is kind of history. I don't remember your second question, but it, it was about what Arcadico is. But before we get there, okay. I actually am really curious because the, the thought is, so I've been asking people the same question about like, why build where you're building? And most people have the opposite where it's like they're much more inclined. Well, I guess I, would, I wouldn't say much more inclined because nobody really built on RSK either and definitely not on Liquid. But it's easy if you're from Solidity and you want to do that, there's decent tooling to build an RSK. So there's a decent uh, carrot to dangle there. But the altcoin on stacks is a big deterrent for certain people. So why, if your ethos is Bitcoin, uh, were you so okay building when the, there's a gas token of STX? Dude, that's a really good question. Um, I think I really dislike the people that say that there should only be one thing and that Bitcoin, because ultimately the biggest shit going on earth is maybe the US dollar if you want to hoard it, you know, as a savings tool. And so there's people like Michael Saylor who are, you know, they, some people think he's a god, right? They're like, oh, Michael Saylor, oh my God. And then actually, I really liked him too, especially in the beginning. But what is the guy doing? He's leveraging himself, getting dollars and turning those dollars into more Bitcoin. So he's literally creating shit coins, the US dollar in this case, to acquire more Bitcoin. And I think that's wrong i'm not i'm not using stacks necessarily to acquire more bitcoin but maybe some are right and i really like the idea and there's this meme on twitter there where you have a donkey that shits coins and the donkey is like the stacks network and it shits bitcoin and it's like this is awesome i can have a tool almost a coin that i can hold and it shits bitcoin it's like the same thing i can leverage my stock or my company to borrow USD, US dollars, and get more Bitcoin. And I'm like, what is ethically different about that? If you think about it, right? I don't, ethically, I don't really see a different personal opinion. And so that's one thing. And I think the other is, as Manib so often says, the incentives are just aligned. You know, you, you kind of need a token to, to bootstrap a network. If you want to attract builders, you need some speculative thing that can grow and that can give you some leverage and just purely with Bitcoin. I'm, I think that's pretty hard, but yeah, I mean, I think it's fine to, to have a coin. And I, one, one last thing I want to say is I believe in the free world. I mean, I don't believe that you, you should be allowed to like create misinformation and cheat on people, but I do believe that with the right information putting it out there that everyone should make the decision whether they want to hold something or not, you know, but there shouldn't be a goth or one person that said, no, you cannot create this coin or you cannot do this. If people represent information truthfully, as I think Stacks has always done, then what's the problem there ethically? I don't think there is a problem, but. Well said. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, also I think back then. Liquid is clearly federated. RSK was more federated back then. Now they have some hardware mod module. So Stacks was the first one that was kind of pushing this like open membership model, although you had to hold Stacks. So it's like, it, there's pros and cons to everything. But uh, yeah, I find that interesting as well. But for the sake of time, I want to jump in to what is Arcadica. So you're on Stacks, you're blazing a trail, you want to tinker, you know, you're following your curiosity, but also building on Bitcoin. And so you decide to build a stablecoin protocol. So what went into that decision and what is Arcadico? Yeah, so in one sense, Arcadico is a way for you to borrow money against your own crypto in the form of a stablecoin. There's different ways to pitch this, but I think that's the ultimate use case. And for me, the biggest proof of product market fit lending is the biggest 
you know, use case in DeFi. And so we were thinking like, I think actually the best DeFi use case today is where you can collateralize your crypto. So stacks, let's say an SDX token and borrow something that's the most stable, like USDT or USDC. But when we got started, there was no stable coin. There was no USDC or USDT on stacks. And I was like, what is the second best way to make it easy for people to borrow against their own holdings without having to sell those? You know, they want liquidity, but they're bullish on stacks. And they were like, this thing is going to go to $100, please. But I want to borrow against it, you know? And so it's like, that's that's a pretty cool use case. And so that's why, honestly, we, bu we built our own stablecoin. And the second thing I think is the stablecoin is something that I talked about this a bit, right? But if you look at the people of Venezuela, Turkey, maybe like Syria, Lebanon, you know, people who are just like me and you were like happily chatting here peacefully and then they are a bit, you know, less fortunate and they, they see double to triple digit inflation year over year, but they do not have easy access to the dollar. And something in my mind also said, and I don't think USDA is there or it's the best, you know, stable coin to do that today. But maybe in a year or two years, it could be, right? If stacks grows a lot, there's more liquidity on it. Maybe we have a ton of Turks and Lebanese people and Venezuelans holding USDA because they need access to that dollar. They think crypto might be too volatile for their day-to-day -day stuff. You know, maybe you save in it or I save in it perhaps because I don't. that's money I don't need for the next two, three years. But I'm not going to put my personally risk... <laughs> Risk adjusted. I'm not going to put my last cent into, into Bitcoin. It's just too volatile for me to do that. And I think a lot of people think like that, but they still want to have access to something semi-reliable to do their day-to-day, -day, you know, operations with. And that's also what was in my head. And I was like, if I can do something, there's three things, what I want, which is fun, which we have talked about a bit already, is I want to make money, you know, why am I doing something semi or potentially lucrative? I want to make money with it. So I want to fun. I want to make money and I want to learn something. And the third thing, learning something, it's very complicated in terms of design to create a stable coin. For instance, Arcadico today, there's about 40 smart contracts that have worked all together with liquidations and margin positions and oracles and like all those things. And I think, by the way, we should keep DeFi as, as simple as possible. But there's, there was no other way for me, at least, to build it in, in a way that was as simple as possible. And so those three things really hit the sweet spot for me, having fun, making money, and learning something. And yeah, that's why I think ultimately I'm still working on Arcadico, and hopefully I will be the next five, ten years. I love that. I love, I love your, your, your three kind of like life aims for this. Fun, money, and learning. I think I'm going to get that frame myself because those are... I think those are hard to beat. Um, money, money in the middle, gotta have it. But fun and learning, cr crucial. Um, it does sound like there's two. I'm just thinking about this as you're talking about it. There's like the people who don't really have collateral or a ton of money, and they just need to up their their current money to stay stable, so they will get to a stable coin for that reason. And so they might hold USDT. USDT is the biggest by far, and it's probably for that reason. They're not collateralizing USTT, they're just using it to spend whenever they need it for their daily actions versus the other person who is someone like me using Arcadico where I actually have collateral and I'm minting a stable coin to go do other stuff with it and extend that use case. Um, and I haven't thought about, so, so there is kind of two main use cases and they work in tandem to keep the stable coin stable, but I don't know what one is more of an active participant and one's more passive and Maybe that's the wrong way to think about it. Does that make, does that make sense at all? I agree. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Um, and additionally, this is not something that a lot of people will like, but USDA is not something that can work in isolation. You know, to, to keep our back, we need to arbitrage it almost constantly. And to arbitrage something, you need liquidity. And you need something to arbitrage it against. And that thing that we need to arbit against today is USDC usually, which is, well, XUSD, which is wrapped USDC on stacks, right? And so that's the way for people to redeem real dollars. And so my, my point of view is always, 
if you can really use the protocol as it was intended, meaning you create your own vault and mint your own USDA, that's today probably better than buying USDA, you know, from the open market. Because if you, you if you vault your own USDA, then you are in charge of repaying that debt yourself, whether you use a stack seal to do that or you pay it back over time. But you always know that at the time of minting, you get those dollars, whatever you do with those dollars. But if it would, you know, temporarily go under back, it's easier for you to pay it back because your debt has become cheaper, right? It's like <laughs> the, the reverse of inflation almost on USDA. And so I'm not going to lie to someone and say like, oh, USDA is like the, the best and most amazing product out there because it's not. And transparently, the chain shows you that. But I think it will be a product that will have sufficient stability in the future if and when sufficient liquidity comes in, especially in terms of USDC and other centralized stablecoins. So for those people who want to hold USDA and want USDC to die, I think that's a pretty like tough, you know, tough environment for us to, to be in. And that doesn't mean we're not decentralized because again, you can mint your own USDA and not ever touch USDC. But for stability purposes, we really need those. I don't know if I went off on a tangent, but um, that's important to to keep in mind, I believe, together with those two kind of use cases that you that you mentioned. No, that makes sense. It kind of dovetails into the tweet you had recently about on-chain activity and the importance of it. And that, that actually was one of the ones that prompted me to try Arcadico. I was like, you know what? I've been, it's been sitting in my wallet, so let me go put this to use. And now I'm fully bought in. I, I love the idea of stacking cycles uh, instead of just doing it myself on experts, put on Arcadico, get more benefits, win-win for me. And it works It works pretty solid. And I like the idea of collateralized stable coins. You, you've sold me on that. Um, people hype up Bitcoin-backed stable coins a lot. Sovereign's about to launch one called Dollar. And so I think it, it, in, in the Bitcoin space, crypto space, they treat it as like a panacea almost. Like once we get a good Bitcoin-backed stable coin, all things will be better. And as I'm listening to you, it sounds like Bitcoin is the safest asset in crypto, but it still has massive volatility, especially when it runs or it drops. So is it subject to all largely the same issues of any kind of other collateral for a collateralized stablecoin? Yeah, I I would agree with you. I think um, it's just some kind of like weird fetish almost that people have for Bitcoin. I mean, I, I agree that it's the most decentralized and it's the best asset to hold probably in crypto still as of today. But I don't see anything fundamentally different from a technical point of view and a volatility point of view. So I think the reason why people look at it as a holy grail is because no one has done it before, you know, and, and people look at Bitcoin and they say, and I agree with that, it's the best brand in crypto by far. Everyone knows Bitcoin, even my like, whatever, my mother, she knows what Bitcoin is, but she doesn't know Ethereum maybe or Solana, you know, but she knows Bitcoin. She knows that some like magic internet money kind of thing. So that's great to leverage that brand name. But in terms of volatility, people don't like to hear this, but even Ethereum, you know, has had the same volatility or maybe a bit less than, than Bitcoin. If you look at the BTC-ETH ratio, it's, it's been so strong. I'm not saying for good reasons, um, but we cannot live in isolation anymore. I'm not an Ethereum fan, but it's gonna, it's it's persistent, man. It's gonna stay there. and. If you're a builder on Bitcoin, even if you're a user on one of those Bitcoin chains, try some other ecosystems. You know, I always say to, to anyone who wants to listen to me, I always say for me, there's four ecosystems today. There's Bitcoin and Bitcoin layers. And I really like the job that you did, you know, with comparing Arcadico and Alex to like RSK and Lightning and all those things. Tremendous job there. But not a lot of people in Stacks and in Bitcoin generally do that. They're like so isolated, even within stacks, that they don't want to expand to RSK and Liquid. And I told you the reason I started building on stacks is because I compared them. And I thought stacks is superior. It's more flexible. It's a good programming language clarity. And there's some speculation in it. But if you extend that even further and you look at, as I said, the four ecosystems, right? Bitcoin, EVM, so for Ethereum Virtual Machine, 
in my opinion, Solana belongs as a third, not Solana as a chain necessarily, but the virtual machine SVM. Or maybe you could group the, the fast blockchains there, like SUI, Aptos, Solana. Now, in my opinion, you have a fourth one, Cosmos, where there are more specific app chains. And I think those four are really important to categorize and to understand that apps exist there that have serious adoption and often more adoption than any Bitcoin layer uh, today. That doesn't mean there's no opportunity in Bitcoin, but it's important to recognize, you know, that there is a lot of building going on in those three others as well. So, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It, the more I got out of stacks and looked at Bitcoin broadly, I saw how dogmatic I was being with stacks. Uh, and obviously, like when it comes to my ratios, I'm probably like 50-50 as far as portfolio. And so like I have a heavy incentive for stacks to go up. I want it to go up. So you have to like make sure your bag holding bias is not too strong. And uh, but it did strike me that whenever you switch to an ecosystem, even if tons of people are using it, the market cap is strong, like you, you could give you good directional incentives to say this is probably safe. There's something about having to create that wallet and have to hold another key now. And I don't really know the ecosystem that it feels like I'm trusting. I don't, until I know enough, I'm trusting something. And so it feels weird. And I'm feeling this right now where like I tried RSK, merge mining stats are pretty good. Like half the network is merge mining. So that looks pretty solid. And then there's a new one. I talked to Alexi yesterday, who's the co-founder of Interlay and they're built on Polkadot. Which like I don't know any I don't know anything about. I know about they have something called parachains, and they have mm -hmm. like these two sub networks. People seem to like the construction of it. Sounds interesting. Um, I'm gonna try it with a small amount of money. But if it wasn't for you know people like Tyco and others that are like, hey, this guy's pretty smart. I like the way he's constructing things. And I get a bond. I hear him talk. I would never try interlay. No chance. Nice. And so there's something about that. I don't know. There's there's such a strong it's a big lift to move to an ecosystem. Even if, you know, Avalanche has BTCB, which everyone's talking about is like the cross-trade Bitcoin. I'm, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we need to try to remove our bias, like you say, from our bags and from, from our own opinions, really. Um, and I've been really bad at that as a Bitcoin maxi. Mm, I do admit that. But... It depends how you look at it as well. If you're a user, you don't really care about number go up that much, which is not a lot of people. But most people, they, they went into Solana, for instance, because it just bumps like crazy, right? But if you decouple Sol, the token, and the tokenomics from Solana, the chain, I think there's still amazing technology there. Without wanting to say that Stacks is superior or inferior or... Whatever, right? I just want to say Stacks is amazing and I love building on it because it has certain properties such as proof of transfer, such as the Bitcoin ethos and the culture. But Solana, also, if you don't care that much about decentralization and the ethos and you just care about speed and, quite frankly, UX, I haven't really used, you know, something that has as good UX as Solana, then there's merit in that as well. And so they have their both their pros and cons. and um, Choose your own flavor, I would say, but yeah. Right. Okay. We got about 10 minutes or so left. Uh, cool. I want to start to close this down. We talked about Arcadico, which you guys have built up to this point, but what's going on forward? So we're, we're on a week away from Stacks 2.1 launching. Some people are super hyped about it. Some people it's being rushed or it doesn't give as much as people say it does. Different opinions, but... uh yeah, I'm curious about your thoughts on 2.1, and then we can kind of dovetail into what 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 are you guys building? What's the plan for Arcadeco in the next 12 months or so? 2.1. Oh man, um, there's some. I saw, um, I saw I saw your tweet, so I, I did lead you a little bit. I'm very curious of your thoughts. Uh, um, let me first say that everyone who has deep conviction on anything, I deeply respect. You know, whether you're Michael Saylor or a sole lonely builder in your own little room in your mom's basement, it doesn't really matter for me. Having said that, I do think on some things the ball was dropped slightly. I think it's kind of 
and, and I have to elaborate there, right? So with Stack 2.1, we're finally going to see continuous stacking. And that means that currently, if you participate in proof of transfer, you have to choose a number of cycles that you want to stack from 1 to 12. And after those cycles that you chose, you're in a cooldown period. So you don't earn yield in that period uh, after the number of cycles that you chose. And so we're supposedly moving to continuous stacking. And that means you can unstack or add more stacks without, you know, being exposed to that, to that cooldown cycle. And so a few days ago or yesterday, even I found out that you cannot decrease a partial position. So either you take everything out or you keep on stacking and extend things. Um, but that means if I tomorrow stack 10,000 SDX, I have to make a decision whether I want to keep all of them in or take all of them out. I cannot, you know, say, okay, now I need some liquidity. I need to sell 10% of my position. So I'm going to take 1,000 out and the rest I'm going to leave stacking. I need to take all of it out, miss one cycle, and then sell 1,000 and restack those 9,000. And for me, that's not really continuous, you know? And that for me is a bit of a downside. I understand, you know, that there's compromise and there's limited time and all those things. And again, I, I deeply respect core engineers who, especially in the beginning, worked on this, you know, because they found it intellectually stimulating. So no attack against anyone in particular, but I think that also misses an opportunity to create a real liquid staking derivative token, an LSD, as we, as we call it, because if you can partially decrease positions, how is a protocol built around that going to be able to, you know, handle the inflow and outflow of tokens without deploying an infinite number of arbitrary contracts that, that keep on stacking. So that really limits, in my opinion, the growth opportunities that, that stacks had going for it with, with stacks 2.1, unfortunately, I think that's a bit of a shortcoming, but there's a lot of good things shipping as well in Stack Super 1, such as new clarity functions and things like that. So the programming language has gotten better. You can read documentation if that interests you. I'm not the expert on that, but I see good things and bad things. Ultimately, I'm, I'm happy it's just finally shipping because it was a long way coming. Yeah. I w when, when I saw your tweet, I was definitely disappointed. Could you do a second? great because the one of the downsides of stacking is that you do lock up your if you go for 12 cycles and you want to ma maximize your yield, you are going to sit in this volatile asset while you're getting your yield. So yeah, you'll get some BTC drip and that's fantastic. But if stacks go boom, and maybe I want to pull some profits or if it drops like crazy, you just, there's, you have less options. And so you either got to choose, go for the full, you know, hand, hands off approach. And I was really excited and you can still do it somewhat with continuous stacking where like, I'll just deploy a thousand stacks and I'll just do it for two weeks and I'll just keep sending those like transaction fees are super low on stacks right now. So like I can just spend that half a penny and keep the cycle going two week cycles until I still have the optionality, but it does suck that I can't just deploy a $13,000 bag or whatever. And then that's, if I want to pull out some of that, I got to pull all of it and lose a two-week cycle. Yeah, and look, there are workarounds on it, right? You could split up the 10,000 SDX in 10 wallets and stack 10 times. That requires more maintenance as well. Can you do that on Arcadigo or no? One vault is one vault when it comes to one collateral type. Yeah, one vault is one vault in the, within, within a collateral type. And so the complexity that, that we have is we have hundreds to thousands of people every two weeks coming in, right? And they say, I want to add 100 stacks and earn some yield and that. The other is 100,000. The other is 500. An arbitrary number of people stacking an arbitrary number of tokens. And so we have to pull those somehow and maximize the yield for you. And so then you can see, I guess, that partially decreasing a position is vital for us in terms of not losing yields for other users. But now we have to figure out and implement some, some kind of compromise where we still have some yield and need to think how much can we stack there and how much should we stack there. And so we're going to be en ending up deploying multiple stackers and try to estimate, you know, how much should be stacked there and there so that we don't get a bank run because everyone should have access to their liquid stacks, right? And it should be transparent, but at the same time that we have yield going and that we don't lose yield to users who still wanted to stack. Uh, because for them, it doesn't matter. You know, they're like, I gave you 1,000 stacks. You told me the yield was approximately 5%. Why do I only have 
3.8 or 4.2. I'm like, yeah, that's because of this and that. They don't care. You know, they right. just want the, then I agree with them. So. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what, what else was covered to, to, to this year? So like you're, you're going to deploy continuous stacking. You're going to input that into it. What else is on the roadmap? I think the biggest milestone for us is twofold. Um, a new product that allows you to borrow against Bitcoin natively with DLCs. Uh, that's something we have pretty much ready in terms of proof of concept. Whether you'll be able to borrow USDA or XUSD, we're not quite sure yet. Um, but you'll be able to borrow a stablecoin against a DLC position. So that's, I think, really exciting because as far as I know, we're one of the first DeFi protocols to ever do that, you know, independently of chain against native Bitcoin, no wrapping, you know, no counterparty risk and all those things. And then second, there is a tokenomics reward. Uh, so Deco, you can stake it today. Deco is the governance token of the Archidico protocol. You can stake that with us. Um, up until now, it was purely governance token used to vote. We're going to put in a revenue share component where if you stake it, any USDA that the protocol makes, so people borrow, right? And they pay an interest on whatever they borrow. That interest as far as, you know, up to today has always gone to paying expenses for the team and things. Going forward, once we do that tokenomics rework, all, all that USDA will be pro rata distributed to people staking their deco. So I think that's pretty exciting as well. That's very cool. Yeah, I keep hearing about DLCs and it's like no one, it's always like on the cusp. Things are about to launch. And it seems like now we're really close to seeing some, some real new use cases. And I think I heard one of the big blockers too is wallet support, but it looks like yeah. Altruist might be good to go now. Exactly. Yeah. Infrastructure was always lacking and now it's finally there and I, I'm excited to see it. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to use it for, for my own use cases. So yeah. let's go. Let's, let's go LFG. Okay. Last, last question. Um, this has been a fantastic, fantastic talk. Thank you for dropping, dropping knowledge on us. Um, just a broad question out of all the things going on in Bitcoin, you know, you're following fun money and learning. And of all the things you're kind of watching right now, what are you most excited about in the Bitcoin space? In any, any facet that you're kind of like watching? It's a tough question, man. Um, I think um, probably Ordinals and how they will uh, evolve. I hope, you know, really great artists come and ultimately what I believe in, for better or for worse, is the financialization of all assets. Uh, you know, we tokenize anything we can think of, um, whether that's good or bad, I'll leave in the middle, but I'm excited to see how Ordinals will grow if there's any big project, because yeah, you had you got to do this drop, but I don't know if you saw the reception of it. The art was kind of meh. It wasn't great. It wasn't amazing. And I hope just more people, you know, will come to Ordinals, see bro and market cap, see financial applications around it. Um, that's one thing. And I think another narrative that is not living at all is actually mobile uh, because it's very cringe, but people always say, yeah, let's onboard the next billion users. Dude, the next billion users are not going to download your hero or MetaMask wallets. You know, they're on their phone, either out working or sitting in the sofa at night, and they're going to scroll a bit around and they're not going to open an archetypical position and read 10 pages of tokenomics. That's for your hardcore user base, let's say. And I think that's fine. You have those subsets, right? But I think to really onboard and to get a real narrative, I want to see some mobile usage. And I've been having this idea of building an ordinal app with kind of like a Tinder UX. You know, you open the app, you see ordinals and you swipe left or right. And you're like, oh, this is cool. This ordinal I like. And you have your own little profile of things that you liked. Maybe you can even buy them in the app. Those kind of things. So I think if X-Force keeps on growing, they have a good mobile wallet, you can integrate that in other apps on iOS, Android. Yeah. Who, who knows? But that could be a big narrative for me. So a combination of mobile and ordinals. Uh, promising in my opinion. I like it. I like it. Very cool. Um, okay, well, fantastic. To, to close this out, where people listen to all this, uh, they want to try out what you guys are building with Arcadico, where, where's the best place to go? Uh, you can find us on Twitter, Arcadico Finance. That's one word. Or you can go to arcadico.finance to try it out. Follow me on Twitter for hot takes. <laughs> you can do that as well. 
And I would love to have anyone who has questions on Discord. We're also on Telegram. So once you're on our Twitter, again, Arcadico Finance, then um, feel free to reach out if you have any questions. And we're always happy to help. One last thing, by the way, um, I started this year doing these 30-minute calls with anyone, with founders or just with random people, honestly, who want to chat and share ideas. Been doing that with about 10 people so far this year. It's always fun. Not a lot of people reach out, but the ones that do are usually really like high quality, great conversations. So if you just want to chat about even moving to Spain or doing something, happy to, uh, to have a conversation. I love it. Yeah, I think I saw a tweet about being having a deep ethos of doing things that don't scale. And I, I just, I, I love that. Not enough people do it nowadays. I always ask the question of like, what's the silver bullet? What's the highest leverage thing? And it's like, sometimes it's just getting in the mud and just do it some, some getting dirty, you know, just do, do, do the work. work. Yep. 100%, 100%. Okay, well, I'll, for those listening, all the links will be below for everything just mentioned. Uh, man, this has been fascinating. Thank you for dropping so many gems about protocol design and stable coins and, and everything else. So Philip, thank you so much, man. Thanks for uh, your time as well. Pleasure to be here. Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. I know that things don't always go your way, but I'll be right here waiting. I've been waiting now. I've been trying to figure out a way to make it out. Make it out because I don't think about it. Everything going wrong.